Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. My name is Gavin Lockyer. I'm Managing Director of Parafura Resources. We're an ASX-listed um, company that is focused on developing the Nolan's Rare Earth Mine in Central Australia. Rare earths are critical materials used in renewables and the e-mobility sector. And we've been advancing our project quite significantly in the past, uh, mainly focused on capital raisings and our uh, project funding. Hello, Gavin. Good afternoon to you, sir. How was your weekend? G'day. Pretty good, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Too bad. I'm struggling with the winter weather, 20 degrees yes, or whatever it is. It's not too, not too good in uh, in WA through winter. We don't like it much. Okay. Well, we'll better talk business then. I'll warm you up. Um, okay. Since we last spoke in the middle of April, I've seen a few press releases around money, financing, starting to move the pieces around on, on the board. Um, the biggest of which is a recent $40 million raise. What was that for? Yeah, look, uh, we've got two um, funding uh, streams operating at the moment. The first is uh, around the immediate funding requirements to keep our working capital going, which I'll elaborate on. And uh, and then the second part is obviously the major project funding of which we need a billion dollars to uh, to build the plant. Uh, so the, the, the capital raising you alluded to, uh, we successfully completed a, uh, a private placement um, of 40 million Australian dollars uh, to institutions institutional and sophisticated investors. And uh, the purpose of that is, is so that we can start our next phase of engineering, which is called front end engineering and design or feed. And, uh, and this is a big chunk of work that uh, will last for about nine to 12 months. And, uh, and once you start it, you don't really want to stop it. So uh, we needed to be sure we had the confidence that we had the funding to see, see the process through. And, uh, and that was the purpose of the capital raising. Market didn't seem to like it. Shares dropped off a bit, goes low as 14. Yeah, look, we did it at a reasonably deep discount and it was just a sign of the market at the time. Um, you know, there seemed to be a, a bit of lack of appetite uh, in the sector. I, I guess there's a bit of market fatigue around, a little bit of tax end selling before 30th of June, but we really wanted to keep the men, momentum going and, uh, and, and, and so get the capital in the bank and, and, and keep the team together and keep the, keep the project moving along. We sort of have uh, sort of, uh, I guess, uh, kind of justified it to a certain extent by offering our existing shareholders the opportunity to participate at the same price. Um, and so we hope that that goes, uh, you know, a long way to alleviate some of the concerns that some of our, uh, you know, our shareholders may have um, felt when they first saw the announcement come out around the institutional placement. So why, why go down the institutional placement route only? Was that just because it's such a big amount that you needed or you felt you needed to do now before the end of the tax year? Yeah, look, it's, um, you know, attracting um, uh, that sort of capital from the retail market is pretty tough, um, particularly, you know, given the year that uh, everybody's been living through in terms of COVID and uncertainty around markets. So the institutional interest was there. And, and we really also wanted to tap into some institutions that we felt would start to restructure our, our share registry, um, al aligning it for the future when we do need to raise big capital amounts um, for the project finance and a number of the institutions that have come on. We certainly hope uh, this is them dipping their big toe in the water uh, for, you know, 
perhaps putting their hand in their pocket for bigger leaks later on when we need it for the project finance. Okay, so for people looking, as we've seen a lot of sort of um, cross-exchange investing, okay, so it's so much easier these days. Do it on your phone, it's easy, but people don't necessarily understand the markets that they're investing into. So on the TSH, we usually see a little uh, recovery um, after their tax loss season. Is it the same in, with the ASX? Uh, typically, yeah, it's uh, people sell in May and go away. Um, because our end of year is 30th of June. So you typically in July start to see the, the market recover a little bit. Um, yeah, so very similar to TSX. Okay, fine. So uh, you, you talked about, well, let's talk about what you're going to do with the, with the 40 million bucks. You, you talked about working capital. What does that mean? Because you've got a billion dollar project. That's kind of scary. Look, as we've been working through the debt process in particular, um, so we're targeting, for, for the billion dollars, we're targeting um, government-backed government or export credit agency financed um, uh, debt syndication. And, and as a result of that process, we appointed Macquarie Bank towards the end of last year to assist us with the debt advisory. And we've been working with the Australian government and with other commercial banks and, and other governments uh, globally around bringing together the funding package. And as we were working through that, um, it became quite apparent that um, given that it's such a big scale project, um, they would prefer to see more certainty in the pricing of our um, construction contract or the EP, EPC contract. And in order to, to refine the, pro the pricing in that contract, uh, we really needed to do a much more advanced um, what they call feed front-end engineering design study, which is taking our feasibility study, which is at a plus or minus 20 odd percent um, certainty around pricing, and taking that to a much more advanced stage where you know we poten potentially will be heading out and getting vendor data. Um, we've got quantities locked in. We've got uh, the only thing that won't be locked in will be pricing, and so it will provide. Um, lenders um, a lot more confidence around the construction price that they will be lending us money to to uh, to fund. And so that piece of engineering work we previously had earmarked within our DFS to be coming out of project finance. But as I said, um, as a result of our discussions with various financiers, um, they felt it best that we go ahead with a front-end engineering and design process. That gives them more certainty and therefore we uh, get get to hopefully a better result in terms of the debt structuring at the back, at the back end of that. Okay, so two things going on here. You talked about uh, given you know the effects of COVID, the state of the market. So you you know you, you're suggesting there that the market's a little bit depressed on on that because of that. Um, yet we've seen sort of battery metal prices. If you look at the nickels and the and the um, coppers. Uh, even cobalts, you know, they're, they're shooting through the roof. What's happening in the world of NDPR? Yeah, look, when I said the market's a bit soft, I'm probably referring to equity markets. Uh, the NDPR market has remained strong in terms of its uh, commodity pricing. It's still up well over 70 US dollars a kilogram, which is, um, it's and it's sustained uh, these levels for uh, quite some time now, which is really reassuring. And what we're starting to see now from uh, customers is that, they, they may have had a um, strategy where they needed to 
look at their long-term procurement supply chain for battery metals as the as just as the ones you described and they are saying that in the second half of, of uh, 2021 they'll start to look at their um, long-term strategic procurement for um, non-battery metals and uh, certainly rare earths or neodymium praseodymium is one of those so we would expect that um, the commodity price should remain strong uh, for out, throughout the rest of this year, but also we hope that that translates into some binding um, offtake agreements uh, through the second half of this year as well. Right. Well, talking of binding agreements, you've kind of got a soft MOU with a Chinese counterparty. You need, and we've talked about this previously, I think back in April even, um, and before that, you've got to make some decisions about which ecosystem you're going to feed into. So China, Australia have got a little bit of a trade war going on at the moment when it comes to commodities, um, all, all sorts of fun and games there. Um, you're looking to Europe as well, certainly for some of these export credit agency type things. Are you any closer to making a decision about that or is it just first come, first served? Look, it's um, it's not a decision really. It's one that could be complementary. We actually have two MOUs with uh, two tier one Chinese magnet producers and these are existing producers that are providing predominantly non-Chinese uh, auto sector, non-Chinese um, uh, renewable sectors with their current magnets. And so because they're not necessarily 100% aligned with the Made in China 2025 strategy, they are also um, concerned about losing their market share and, and where they're going to source their NDPR from. So what we're actually looking at doing is talking to those customers in Europe, many of whom already buy magnets from uh, these Chinese groups, uh, but obviously we want to use the balance sheet of, of the groups in Europe because they're much, much stronger. And as you alluded to, they come with potentially government-backed or ECA financing from that particular country. And so we're, we're, we're trying to bring the three parties, us and the other two parties together, uh, in order to um, potentially have tripartite sales agreements that are backed by the Europeans. So what certainty are they looking from you? Because those are non-binding agreements, right? Is that right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. Okay. So yep. you are going to have to do some work for them in Europe to maybe make them feel comfortable about giving you a binding agreement? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's right. So we're looking to, or even if it's not a binding agreement, getting some form of letters of support that um, that those groups in Europe can provide to their export credit agency groups, such that those export credit agency groups can also then have uh, discussions with us around our, a syndicated debt facility sitting alongside the Australian government. And we would hope that as, as we get closer and closer to the end of feed next year, that we start getting the off-takers and the structured debt all starting to come together um, to a point where, you know, they're, they're prepared to commit to each other and to us. So, it's a, you know, it's not an easy, uh, easy thing, but um, it has been done before. Uh, and so, you know, we hope to be, um, be the next, next player in the, in the market. But if you, with these sites, I want to sort of dig down on this one because it's important because you're, you're, you're kind of the rub here. You've got to put this massive financing package in together. We'll, we'll talk about um, the Australian government um, 300 bucks of support in a second. But with these Chinese groups, surely no Chinese operating company can operate without the support of the Chinese government. So whether they operate outside of the um, made in China policy or not, at the end of the day, they're going to be held accountable. And if the Australia-Chinese relations go even further south or, or sour even more, 
What do you do? Well, I think uh, a lot of a lot of these groups, not just Chinese, but many other com- uh, companies, are trying to also build magnet capacity outside of China. Some are well underway and being built and constructed as we speak in Vietnam. Uh, and so, you know, we do have alternatives. Such as? Well, going to those those factories through Vietnam or or elsewhere. Um, there but, but, will but, be but where are you now? I'm, I'm such as that. So where are you with those discussions? Because are you having them in parallel, or you just got them in the back pocket just in case? And how, how do you play it? Well, some of the groups we're already talking to have expansion um, um, capacity, or sorry, have um, expansion aspirations, and so you know that's part of our ongoing dialogue. Okay. So there's no competitive tension at the moment. The Chinese groups expect you to work with them, and that you're moving forward until you can't or Look, absolutely. I mean, as I said, they uh, they uh, require um, a secure source of supply. We are able to provide them with a sustainable, secure, traceable product, uh, which their customers demand. And uh, I think you'll find that with a lot of the EU um, regulations that are coming in next year, uh, a lot of the auto sector will have to look through their supply chain to see where the raw material is coming from. So whilst their magnet producer might be inside China, um, it still needs to know where its NDPR is being sourced. And that's the sort of traceability that Arafira can offer. Right. And so let's come back to the, the, the 40 million. You talked about that being sort of like, you know, the... Um, front front end design. So, I mean, how much more certainty does that give in terms of the cost? I mean, are you just shaving costs off here and there, or are there people expecting to see twenty percent saving, or is it just about the certainty of pricing? And how on earth can you offer that? Because everything's getting more expensive at the moment. It, it's around certainty of pricing, and so the 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 um, the the process is you get an engineering group that comes in. They you know they're reputable organizations, global organizations. We've currently got a tender process underway at the moment uh, for that work. That engineer then um, has an alignment with a constructor and between the two of them, um, they settle on what degree of, um, I guess, um, materiality uh, they're prepared to offer in terms of um, fixed price. Um, it may not be all fixed price contract, but vast majority of it should be able to be fixed because you can fix uh, quantities of concrete, quantities of copper, quantities of et cetera, et cetera. And so the closer you get, and obviously the closer your construction period is to the end of that feed process, the more certainty the constructor has around price. So that's why I'm saying by the end of feed, we hope to have all the um, the financing ready to go such that we can just roll them over into um, fixed price contracts where appropriate. So what you're saying is it'll give you more certainty about quantities of things, right? Yep. And at today's prices, it'll give you a sense of what you'd have to pay. But my, my point is we've seen pricing go up for shipping, containers, um, mm-hmm. fuel, you know, staff, you know, costs are going, there's lots of costs. There's a big moving market yep. going on there. So at some point, you're, sure. the only, only time you're going to be able to fix that is when you commit to an order. And to commit to an order, what do you need to have in place? Yeah, well, we need to have a lot more certainty around the project finance for one. Um, but there's a number of things we can do in terms of once we are getting close, we can actually start um, uh, placing, if, if the funding is there, we can start placing long lead item uh, orders so we can lock in those prices for key bits of equipment. Uh, and then obviously, as it gets closer and closer to the date of 
final investment decision, you know, that's when we can lock in and and start hedging a lot of the uh, a lot of the pricing as well. So it's 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 a real juggling game because you you can't commit to stuff until your financing is in place. Yep. And you don't know when the financing is going to be in place at the moment. It's because there's a lot, again, there's a lot of moving parts there. Look, yeah. I know yeah. it's not easy. It's a billion dollar uh, capex. It's not an easy thing, right? I, I'm, I'm, yep. You're not going, you're not buying goods off a, off a shelf here at a supermarket. But at the same time, I think what the market's looking for is an idea of when you think you can get this over the line because you've been at the, the money side of things a long time given the nature, yep. the size of the project. That's right. So uh, just two things there. The first is that the banks will always um, factor in a working capital facility and a cost overrun facility. So whilst it's a billion dollars, the amount of financing that we'll actually be seeking will be um, significantly more than that to ensure that um, we can um, address any of those cost overruns that you referred to, whether it be inflationary or just scarcity of, of materials. So that, that's that's the first thing. The second point is when uh, and what's our time frame. And as I said, FID or final investment decision will be end of feed and uh, aligned with bringing together all our debt packaging. We believe if we get the debt and the off-takers uh, more or less aligned, that should cause a significant re-rating in our stock, we would hope, such that we can then go out and raise whatever equity portion we need uh, at a significantly higher price than hopefully than what we're currently sitting at. Uh, and so FID, we're targeting by the second half of next year, but we're still targeting um, production by the end of 2024. So none of that has changed from our DFS. We're just moving engineering work forward and allowing us more time to raise all the capital needed um, for for the project. Right, so and that's gonna, what I was saying, 60, 40, we're saying you need to raise roughly 40% equity. Is that, is that the number we're looking for? Uh, we're probably looking at probably 50-50 at this point in time. So, you know, probably about 600 in debt and 600 in equity. That's, and that includes obviously the cost overrun facilities, contingencies, etc. Right. So you really need a run on your share price. You need to try because what are you like? Say, let's say 170 million market cap at the moment. Mm -hmm. You need three yep. times that in equity, three times that in 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 debt. So that that's a bit a bit of a stretch at the moment, right? So what what do yeah. you do? What do you do about that? Well, that's why we we've targeted a, a debt led um, funding structure uh, and we knew that in with a COVID world that it was going to be difficult to continue those dis discussions with offshore uh, offshore groups and then the Australian government has announced its critical mineral strategy uh, and I'm pleased to say that you know that has um, accumulated for us in uh, two letters of support uh, from two different facilities but a total of 300 million Australian dollars uh, over long term so 15 year facilities facilities subject to various conditions and some of those are off take some of those are fixed price epc contracts etc cetera, etc cetera. but that 300 million is basically the cornerstone of our debt package which now allows us to go to those offshore jurisdictions to the europeans to the um, southeast asian groups and say listen you know australian governments there your your country needs this material for your manufacturing industry there's um, you know, clear evidence in the past that this is the way that 
countries like you know Korea, Japan, Germany, France, and others have have funded projects uh, through government support, through export credit agencies. How about you come in, sit alongside the uh, the Aussie government in this facility, um, and at the same time, we'll be bringing along customers from your re relevant jurisdictions. Okay, so that that's that's meaningful. Then I mean, a letter of support. I mean. The, the, these things are, like I say, it's conditional. You did say it's conditional, so and you, you, you identified yep. a few things. That, so, you, how quickly can you draw that down? If you meet all the terms of conditions, can you draw it down all of it day one, or is it amortized over the course of fifteen years? I mean, what, what, how, well, those those details haven't been factored in yet. This right. is really first step, um, so that they can um, continue with their due diligence on us. Um, but, I, you know, the conditions precedent I've outlined are, are no different to any other debt facility that, that would be required for any other debt facility. So, you know, as we get closer and closer, we'll start to refine the terms of those debt facilities um, such that they're all aligned because if it's a syndication, it'll all have to be aligned and it'll have to be aligned with presumably the chief facilitator. Um, and so as we bring more parties in from, you know, uh, from Europe and, and elsewhere, um, we will sit those ECAs down together and, and start to structure the, the terms of the actual debt. Um, historically though, um, debt providers want to be the last, um, last group in, so they'll want to see us, the ability to raise the equity um, and, and spend the equity before we start drawing down on the facilities. And are you, how far do you, I mean, you want to get into production, don't you? Your team? Yeah. You want to get into production? Okay, right. So. So the strategy hasn't changed since we've started speaking? No, it's just advanced since we last spoke because we have got those letters of support. And um, the, you know, I guess the strategy in terms of project execution has changed because we thought that we would be able to fund the project on the back of the feasibility study. But the financiers have said, no, we would like you to do more engineering, go and do the front end engineering to provide more certainty in the construction cost. Okay. Okay, so what's the rest of this year hold? I mean, you're obviously going to do that work, but how long is that going to take? Yeah, uh, well, the feed, we, uh, we've we got tendering process underway at the moment. Uh, we hope to uh, appoint that in the next couple of months and then get that cracking. That's a nine, as I said, nine to 12 month exercise. Um, so that's the project team now. I can set and forget them and, and get let them get on and do what they need to do. And so the, the, the rest of the business um, is now 100% focused on the commercial aspects being uh, offtake, debt financing and obviously marketing to bring, um, you know, bring uh, potential investors along for the ride and, and make sure that they're, um, uh, you know, they're ready for when we want to uh, push the button on that equity raise next year. Okay. And I know we've talked about export credit agencies, but are you seeing a lot of funds? Because we're seeing a lot more of these ESG green funds around and they're looking for deals and they need to place big projects here. I mean, are you having those sorts of conversations? Yeah, definitely. Um, look, those um, those those types of funds are, are becoming more and more uh, interested in our, spec in our sector. And it's, um, you know, as I said, as a result of the fact that we're a project that's in Australia, we've got all our environmental approvals in place. Um, we uh, provide traceability, not just in where the product is coming from, but also where is the waste being managed and how are you rehabilitating a site? And, uh, and that's becoming a really, really big factor 
for a number of these ESG funds. And I think you'll only see more and more of this um, coming to fruition in the, in the coming years because, as I said earlier, um, the EU in particular is bringing in legislation uh, around um, provenance of supply and making sure that, um, you know, there's anti-slavery provisions being factored into your supply chains uh, and so on and so forth. And, and Arafura can offer that. And we're, we're actually working on some uh, blockchain-like technology to be able to um, trace, you know, our block of ore uh, and be able to um, provide our customer with... Uh, you know, a, a line of sight as to where that magnet or the NDPR and that magnet has come from this block of ore back in Central Australia. That's really interesting. That's, That's something good. that uh, is getting a lot of interest, particularly with um, with European customers. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're sort of seeing it coming out the other end as well. It's almost like um, commodities are going to be leased or rented rather mm. than sold um, because mm. they want to be able to track it through its life. Whatever that, whatever that means. Um, well, I'd love to dig into that a little bit more with you at another time. That sounds fascinating. Blockchain as part of the, the mining process. Are you? Um, we've seen also seen a few companies uh, come on here and try and uh, describe themselves as not, you know, not mining. We we are, you know, we're moving downstream for that re-rate. Yeah, we're going to see that from you. Well, I mean, I never thought we were a mining company. We've always been a minerals minerals processing company uh, because we were always going through to a rare earth oxide. Um, you know, uh, 15 to 20% of our cost is mining, both operating and capital cost. The bulk of the cost is in the minerals processing. So we are a minerals processor. We are a downstream processor. Um, it's just sometimes... We get uh, we get lumbered in with the uh, with the resource stocks and look you know even our name as you know historically we've been Arafura Resources um, you know that's something that we're also considering whether we look to a name change to make it you know a little bit less resources and, and more focused on what we actually are which is a which is a um, uh, a high purity oxide producer. Yeah, you've got to be careful though. You don't want to be accused of greenwashing the, the, through branding. I understand. We've, we've I seen understand. some companies come on here, lithium brine companies, and say we're a water purification company. I thought that was clever. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just an idea. No. You can have that. No. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> well, there's, there's plenty of companies that have changed from being resources to Bitcoin to medicinal marijuana, but no, we're certainly uh, Arafura Resources and uh, our focus is uh, the Nolan's NDPR project. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.